0: Great music this morning. Thank you to our worship team, and thank you, Cindy, as always, for our just beautiful music, great music. I don't know if my kids will hear anything else I say in the service today, but I've got three in the service today, and I've just received text from all of them, hashtag HFD. How about that? So they were paying attention. Who knew? The title of the message is A Godly Example, and the truth of the matter is, whether it's a godly example or not, we all follow examples, right? A lot of the things we learn We learn by watching somebody else do it and follow their example. Any golfers in the midst, anybody watching the U.S. Open? I figured out my swing problem this week watching the U.S. Open. I'm not hitting the ball nearly far enough. (laughs) Dennis, I think I got it figured out. If I swing as hard as Rory McIlroy, it'll go 300 yards. No, it'll go about 200 yards, and you won't be able to find it. Not all examples are good examples, and Paul's going to talk about that. Back in the early days of our children, we were trying to train them things like put your seatbelt on in the car. When you get in the car, first thing you do is put your seatbelt on. We don't want you going through the windshield if we have a wreck. I was used to doing that in my car. I just got in, it was second day. I didn't even think about it. I just was used to putting my seatbelt on. Well, I was driving the van, my wife's car one day, and it just was I just forgot. And from the back of the van I heard one of my children say, Dad, you're not setting an example. Of course, my other child said, oh, yes, he is. He's setting a bad example. (laughs) So Paul's going to talk to Timothy about the example that was present in the church at Ephesus and then direct it back to himself. Paul actually had the audacity to say to Timothy and and others, follow my example. Isn't that incredible that Paul knew I'm living the Christian life by perfect no? You read Paul's letters, you recognize he acknowledged He wasn't perfect. He called himself the chief of sinners. But if you follow me, you'll get closer to Christ. Speaking to a group of students, I was trying to challenge the seniors, the 12th graders, the ones who are about to graduate and go to college, just with being leaders in their youth groups. I said, how many seniors do we have here? This old guy in the back of the room raised his hand. I said, no, I'm not talking about senior citizens. I'm talking about seniors. But this message is for all of us and for all of you, me included. What examples are we following? What are we clinging on to and we know this is right? And what examples do we need to quit following? In fact, what examples do we need to avoid? Paul's been so clear in Timothy. Just to catch you up to date, we're in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Paul writes 1 Timothy from a prison cell, but he gets out of prison in the intermediate time. But by 2 Timothy, he's back in prison. In fact, most scholars think this was the worst prison he'd ever be in. It was a dungeon. Paul had been beaten. Paul knew he was at the end of his life, and you're going to see that a little bit later in 2 Timothy. He knew he was already being poured out. And he wasn't long away from death. And so what he writes is so important. And so he says to Timothy, let me read verses 1 through 15, chapter 3, 2 Timothy. But realize this, That in the last days, difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power, avoid such men as this. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. But just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the, the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will not make further progress for their folly will be obvious to all just as Janus and Jambres followed, folly was also now you followed my teaching my conduct my purpose my faith my patience my love my perseverance my persecutions and sufferings such as happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lustra, what persecutions i endured and out of them all the lord rescued me Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned and become convinced of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Lengthy passage, and so much of it seems doom and gloom. But ultimately, there's good news, even from this passage. First of all, Paul says, realize this. Paul had warned, if you read Acts, Paul was in Ephesus for a long time, had discipled Timothy for years, maybe 20 years. But he tells him, I'm, I'm concerned that after I leave, savage wolves are going to come in and try to devour the flock. And if you know the history of Ephesus, that's kind of what's happening while Timothy's there. And ultimately, we read about Ephesus... Over in the second chapter of Revelation, they're still having church, but they've lost their first love. So things don't don't go well in Ephesus. In fact, Timothy ultimately gets put in prison himself. We find that out toward the end of the book of Acts. And so Paul says, Timothy, know this. He uses a strengthened form of the word for knowledge, which means know this absolutely. This is one of those bedrock beliefs, Timothy. You need to know this. That in the last days, difficult times will come. Well, are we living in the last days? At the birth of Christ, he ushered in a new age. He ushered in a new covenant. That's what he came to do. But especially by Pentecost, the pouring out of the Spirit of God at Pentecost, ushered in the last days. So Paul is saying, Timothy, we're living in the last day, so he's speaking immediately, present tense. Timothy, this is going on now. When you and I read this, we're thinking it couldn't have been this bad when Paul was alive, as it is today. Because did you hear that list? There's 19 things on that list, and do you step back and think, yep, they're all happening. Well, they've all been happening. It's just getting worse. So Timothy realized that difficult times are come. And I'm not going to hit all 19 of these things, okay? You've got them there in front of you. I'm going to hit some of them. But they all break down into one of three categories, and they have to do with your love. They either are love of self, which is narcissism, or love of money, which is materialism, or love of pleasure, which is hedonism. Have you noticed? I want you to... Here's, a, here's some homework for the next few days. I want you to notice... Every commercial that you see on television, it's going to appeal to one of those three things, either love of self, love of money, or love of pleasure. Some of them appeal to all of them, but I just want you, if you're watching with somebody else, just tell them, that's love of self, that's love of pleasure, that's love of money. And we're bombarded by that. The technology that's in our ears and in front of our eyes is got to be so much greater than what they had at the time of Paul, but the, the... the method of the evil one hasn't really changed. He's still attacking us at those three areas of love. In fact, one person's definition of sin is seeking to find meaning in life apart from God. That's what Satan's trying to get you to do. Rather than finding your pleasure in God, rather than finding who you are in Christ, your identity in Christ, rather than finding what you need to possess in Christ, and rather than finding your pleasure in Christ, trying to find it everywhere else. And so he gives specifics. He says, men will become lovers of self. You become your own God. Once you become the most important thing in the universe, there is in your mind no God, there's no higher being than me, then everything you do revolves around you, and you expect everybody else to revolve around you too. Now, that sounds like a three-year-old, but some people never grow up from that. So one of the signs of the last days is that men will be lovers of self and lovers of money. These first two, really, lover of self, lover of money, kind of supply the key to the rest of them on the list. Men are going to become boastful, literally braggarts, that swagger of, hey, look at me, boastful, arrogant. I love the little definition is arrogance, meaning appearing above others. You ever sit in Gary Phillips' office? He has these short chairs. Like my knees are above my hips when I sit in there. Some of you know what I'm talking about. But Gary's on this throne. And I was in there with the youth pastor just last week, and I said, we're experiencing the David Letterman effect. David Letterman was always accused of his chair was always a little higher than the people that he was talking to, I think. So Gary kind of hit his little button and went down back to our level. But I'm sure he's elevated that back up. And I'm not. I'm just kidding with Gary. But that's what happens when you become arrogant. You just want to appear above everybody else. Revilers. In fact, this is actually the word blasphemous. But it's not blasphemy towards God. It's, it's called reviler because it's directed towards other people, your fellow men and women. How about this next one? Everybody paying attention? Listen up. If you don't get any other some of you need to hear this one. In the last days, men and women are going to become disobedient to parents. I'm sure that, I know that's probably not happening with any of these kids, but I hear that that's happening in other places, (laughs) miles from here, that there's kids that disobey their parents. And then it linked with that is the word ungrateful. And you need to get this disobedience to parents breeds problems with authority. And when you stop recognizing authority, there's nobody to be grateful to. So let me give you some parenting advice. Teach your kids to be respectful of authority. I talk to school teachers sometimes. And school teachers tell me it is getting worse, the lack of respect of students towards their teachers. And what's worse is when the parents come to visit. I think I heard an amen. The parents come to visit and you realize, now I know where the kids get it from. Or disrespectful to the police. Parents, kids are watching. And they see how you respect those in authority over you. Whether it's your boss at work. Whether it's your a law enforcement officer. Whether it's somebody in the military. Whether it's a teacher. But in the last days, that's what's going to happen. Disobedience to parents and ungratefulness. Unholy. One of the things that's going to characterize men and women in the last days is unholiness, not being right with God. Holy means separate, set, set apart, right with God, useful to God. In the last days, are going to be unholy and unloving, literally hard-hearted towards their kindred even. Once your heart turns to stone, you know what? If, if, you, if you love somebody then the little things they do that aggravate you are not nearly as glaring. The Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. Once you decided you don't love somebody, everything they do becomes glaring and irritating and annoying. And we have to pray that prayer I've talked about before. God, allow me to see them the way you do. Because right now I'm just being annoyed. And I have to be remembered, God, I'm annoying. <laughs> and you love me anyway. So we become... Or they become unloving, malicious gossips, without self control, brutal, haters of good. Mankind's become so degenerated they're 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 not even able to tell the difference between good and bad. They call things that are evil good, treacherous, literally giving in to the enemy or surrendering. Reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Lovers of pleasure. What happens is when you don't love God, there's an emptiness in you. And so pleasure becomes what you're trying to cram in to fill that emptiness. And guess what? It never is enough. It's never enough. You can't spend enough energy. You can't spend enough money. You can't acquire enough stuff to cram into the hole in your heart that is only fit for God. But when you become a lover of pleasure, you won't love God. Pleasure has been substituted for God. And the byline is it's been around ever since I've been alive. If it feels good, do it. Holding to a form of godliness, they have denied its power. What Paul's saying to Timothy is these people are in the church. These people are claiming to be religious, but it's all surface. It's empty. They cut the very power out of it because they cut the gospel out of it. And that leads to one of three things. If you've denied the, if you're just kind of pretending this form of godliness, but you've cut the gospel out then it's all up to you. First thing in to lead to is performance. I've got to be good. And there's whole religions based on that, performance. It's almost as if as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, you're okay. It doesn't work that way. How many sins does it take to make you a sinner? One. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I would guarantee you there's nobody in here bold enough to say, yeah, I think that's about where I am. I think one time. No. We constantly think the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, or do the wrong thing. Because we are sinners. But Christ is the remedy for that. There's good news. Don't fight, don't fill your life with pleasure. Fill your life with Jesus. They've denied its power. So it least performance or comparison. Well, I'm as good as he is. I've joked about this before. I think there's some people think they're going to get to heaven, and Saint Peter's going to say, "Why should I let you in?" And you're going to look around and say, "You let her in. I know I'm better than her." It don't work. God doesn't grade on the curve. God doesn't grade on comparison. It's not about your performance. It's not about who you're better than. The grounds level at the foot of the cross. We all come on equal footing. Third thing that leads to is frustration. A lot of people, I think, have given up on God because all they tried was religion. And if all you've tried is religion, you will be frustrated. And you'll think, well, I tried that. No, you haven't. The word religion and the word religious are used about ten times in Scripture. Only one time is it something good. Most of the time it's something God's condemning. So why are we seeking to be religious instead of having a relationship with a loving Father who sent his only Son to die for us? to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be right with him. And then he mentions such men as these who enter into households and captivate weak women. Literally, the word enter means to sneak into. Here's what's happening in these households is these women who are weighted down by other sins are listening. They're, They're desperate for a solution to their problem, but instead of turning to God, they're turning to the advice of ungodly men. And now you don't even have to have a knock at the door to get this advice. Just turn on the TV or the Internet. And people in the guise of religion will answer all your questions. But they cut Jesus out of it. It's all about you. So be careful. still happening today. Always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Isn't that amazing? We live in a, in a generation, we live in an age where the information... Super highway is just there. At your disposal is a wealth of knowledge, some of which I wish I didn't know. I, I wish I didn't get push notifications of everything that happens in this area. I don't know what it is about Dylan, but stuff happens in Dylan all the time. I wish I could. So I just don't need to know about Dylan anymore. But bad stuff. We're gaining knowledge, and that's where some religions are based on is sensationalism and your senses. But you've never come to the knowledge of the truth. You can't know the truth apart from God. And then he mentions these two men who are never mentioned in Scripture in the Old Testament Janus or Jonus and Yambres or Jambres. They're the names given in writing of that time to describe the magicians back in Egypt. When Moses was there. The ten plagues and Moses performed miracles like turning his staff into a snake and then turning it back into a staff or turning water into blood. Pharaoh's magicians were able to accomplish some of these things and they've given the names Janus and Jambres to him because that's what their names mean. And he's basically saying the same thing's happening now. In the name of religion, slick magicians are entering the church. And performing signs that look legitimate, but they're counterfeit. So what do we do? We make sure that whatever they're saying and doing squares with Scripture. If what they're saying or doing doesn't square with Scripture, don't buy it. In fact, Paul says, avoid such men as these. Here's the good news. Jesus is merciful to the messy people. He did not have a lot of mercy for religious people, especially the ones that are leading people astray. Listen to what he said to the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew 23, 27, and 28. I got this on the screen, I think. This is Jesus. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees and hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. That was going on in the day of Jesus. It's going on in our day. But the good news, ultimately these men will be rejected. Their folly will become obvious to all. They won't make any further progress. The word folly literally is the word stupidity. There's a proverb that says, even a fool when he's quiet appears to be wise. The problem is they open their mouth and remove all doubt. They're a fool the sake of time, I'm moving on. Because then it gets to the good stuff. Here's what Paul says. Timothy, this is what's already happening and will continue to happen until the return of Christ. We're living in the last days. This is evidence of it. But Timothy, you have followed my example. You followed my teaching, my conduct, my purpose. I love that. Purpose is just the chief aim of life. Paul's purpose. Paul's purpose in 1 Corinthians, he says, I pray that I would be a faithful steward of the mysteries of God. Paul wanted to be faithful to his Lord and Savior. You followed my purpose. You followed my faith. You followed my patience. You followed my love. You followed my perseverance, my persecutions and suffering. Such as happened, and he names three towns that were right in Timothy's backyard. That's where he's from. And Timothy had been with him, and seen Paul suffered, Paul was beaten and left for dead. And Timothy's aware of that. But then he says, out of all of that, the Lord rescued me. And here's where I want you to get this. I've said this myself, and God really hit me with this thought this week. If you feel like the world is spiraling out of control, it is not. God is sovereign over all of it and God told us this is exactly what would happen. We're afraid of the devil and the fact the power he has and the influence he has his power is limited. yeah, he may cause suffering for a time, but he doesn't win. I've read the end of the book. Don't wait for the movie. So the next time you think the world is going to hell in a handbasket, that's where the world's headed for. But that's not your destiny. As a child of God and a joint heir with Christ, that's not where I'm going. So Paul says, Timothy, follow my example. And the fact that the Lord rescued me. And then verse 12 is a verse that hurts a little bit. Indeed, all. How many people are included in the word all? Anybody left out all? All means all. All who desire to live godly lives will be persecuted. Jesus put it this way in John 15, 18, and 19. He says, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. One of the things about being a believer is you're a constant reminder to the world of how wicked they are, and it makes them mad, and they take it out on you. So yes, there's persecution. There are people on earth today that are being arrested for the cause of Christ, that are being beaten for the cause of Christ, that are being put to death for the cause of Christ. We haven't seen it full bore yet in our country, but we probably will. Other forms of persecution are losing your job, losing friends, being talked about, being gossiped about, being demeaned, being fearful. In fact, there's a way to avoid persecution, just act like the rest of the world. That is not what we're called to. We're called to look like Jesus, and that's what God began in our life the day we trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. He began a work of sanctification that we're going to look more like Jesus, and it's going to tick some people off. But for other people, it's going to give them hope. It's going to go from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. The very people who are deceiving are being deceived themselves. What's your purpose? Paul said, Timothy, you know my purpose. The shorter Westminster Catechism says the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. I love a little spin that John Piper put on it. The chief end of man the chief end of man is to glorify God by enjoying him. You go back to that list, lovers of pleasure, lovers of self, lover of money. When your contentment is found in Jesus Christ, that glorifies God. When your contentment is found somewhere else, that is sin. Glorify God by enjoying Him forever. All of the fullness of God's blessing is in Him. And it's available for you. Let me close with this thought. The last thing he says is to hold to your convictions. He's literally saying, Timothy, you've got a grip on it. Don't let go. The writer of Hebrews said it this way in 10.23. He said, hold fast to confession of your faith without any wavering, for he who promised is faithful. When Satan comes to you and says, let go of that, I want you to look like a three-year-old with a full set of teeth. Uh Uh-uh. Because I've seen that look before. I'm getting it from my dog now. Our dog's a year old. She loves for you to throw things and she brings them back. She just won't let go of it when she brings it back. Like, you know, the, the point here is you gotta bring it back and let go so I can throw it again. So you will try to pull you can't pull it out of her mouth without jerking her teeth with it. Then she repositions her bite on that thing, that's when you lose a finger. And I just want to be that tenacious with what I'm holding on to, and that is this. Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He will never leave me or forsake me. No matter what happens in this earth, God is still in control. He is supernatural. He is sovereign. It's His world. And we know the end of the story. And he just reminds Timothy of, Timothy, just remember what you've learned and who you learned it from. He's already reminded him in 1 Timothy You learned about God from your grandmother and your mother. Apparently, Timothy's father was an unbeliever. But he had a godly grandmother and a godly mother who had taught him the Old Testament, finally came to faith themselves in Jesus. And he's learned from Paul, for crying out loud. How would you like to have that as your mentor? So, Timothy, you can can rely on what you've heard and who you've heard it from. And understand, this book, this Bible, The Holy Scripture is able to lead to give wisdom that leads to salvation, which is through faith in Christ Jesus. In contrast, the false teachers are always going to come up with something new, sensational, that sounds good. Paul says, Timothy, cling to what you've known all your life. Hold on to that. It's reliable. Don't let go of it. So, my question for you just two thoughts, and I really am done. What are you holding tight to? And then, do you recognize the power of the Word of God is able to change lives? Even those people who right now are teaching falseness, even those people that are charging hard away from God, they're still redeemable. That's the power. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. And thank you for the hope that we find in it. Yes, the world does seem to be spiraling, but it's still not out of your control. Paul told Timothy these words 2,000 years ago. They're becoming more and more true every day, and we're getting closer and closer to the end of this age, not just the last days, but the finals thank you that Jesus is victorious and those who are in Christ are victorious in him. And God, I pray for those who don't know Jesus, maybe even some in this congregation this morning and certainly in the world we live in, that God, you would use our example of men and women who are simply believing the book, that it would give them hope because the stuff they're cramming in their life is not satisfying them, ultimately. Wake them up before it's too late to come to faith in Jesus. Thank you for that truth in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing a closing